Good morning, pastors and ministry leaders. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. My name is Shegun Ayegusi, and I am a pastor and founder and director of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos in Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. The Nigerian Pastors Podcast is the audio ministry of the Gathering Faith Leadership Network, and we aim to achieve two goals through this podcast. One, we want to minister to the pastor's heart and stir up in you a greater love for Jesus Christ. The fact is, when a pastor is in awe and in love with Jesus Christ, it will result in emotionally and spiritually healthy ministry leaders who lead thriving churches. And our second goal through this podcast is to equip you with practical biblical teaching for ministry so that you can grow in your knowledge of God's Word and become more effective in preaching and teaching through the Bible. It is our ongoing prayer that the Holy Spirit of God accomplishes both of these goals in your life as you listen along. Welcome again, and thank you for listening. want to welcome you back. Thanks for joining us today. And so in today's episode, we are going to be concluding our discussion about the arrival of the Antichrist in part four of this eight-part series about the end times. Now, uh, here are quick some highlights from last week's episode to bring you up to date. So we have been looking at several places in the Bible, but mostly at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 12. And we have discussed the fact that one of the first indicators of the arrival of this figure known as the Antichrist on the world stage will be a moment of mass rebellion against God, like a worldwide mass rebellion against God. You know, throughout church history, there, you know, church history has always had apostates and false teachers and people turning away from God. I mean, like, you know, you turn on any TV station right now, YouTube channel, unfortunately, many people preaching on Uh, these media outlets are not really preaching the Gospels, but are really building their own kingdom and leading millions and millions of people away from God. But even as bad as those are, the rebellion that's described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 will be a lot worse. The rebellion that surrounds the arrival of the Antichrist will be a lot worse than what we're seeing today. And I proposed last week in last week's episode that the one scenario that might trigger such a worldwide rebellion would be if in one moment and suddenly every Christian on earth were to be removed in an event known as the rapture. Well, that would create a perfect storm for this antichrist figure to step into the world scene and promise false, offer false promises of comfort when he's indeed a deceiver. Um, We also talked in last week's episode about the second indicator of the arrival of the Antichrist would be the removal of someone known as the Restrainer. And we said in last week's episode that the Restrainer is a reference to the Holy Spirit who uh, indwells Christians, who indwells Christians. And so really what scripture is saying is that when all the believers are removed, we're going to see this really mass rebellion against God. And that's where we left things off in last week's episode. Well, to continue our discussion today, we're still going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and, and we're going to talk about the third indicator, um, the third indicator of the Antichrist's arrival in the world. And, and it'll be not only the rebellion, not only the 
removal of the restrainer, which refers to the church. But third, it'll really be the unveiling of the lawless one who was also the Antichrist. Look at verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, that's the restrainer, will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. You see, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. The lawless one will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve his lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. Now, just to give you a little bit of a context, when the Bible refers to the lawless one in verse 8, this is the same antichrist that's mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and it's the same person who's referred to as the beast in Revelation 13, right? We see different appearances of this antichrist figure in different places in the Bible. Now, the interesting thing is that when the antichrist ascends to power, it's not necessarily going to be through force or or explicit violence, even though that'll certainly be a part of his ministry, his reign. But rather, the antichrist will ascend to power, according to the Bible, the antichrist will ascend to power through his manipulative charisma and his deceptive charm. Like, like he will be welcomed into power. You know, verse 9 to 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 basically describes the Antichrist as someone who will be, you know, he will be an oratorical genius. Like, I mean, his speech will be like honey on the lips. He will be a masterful diplomat. He will be a, a political wonder. Like, Scripture goes as far as saying he will even be able to perform supernatural signs that will leave the world in Oh, and everyone will rally to him because, yes, finally a leader we can all trust. But it is all a smokescreen. It's, it's a facade because behind his influence and behind his appeal, his appeal is Satan himself. In the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 to 24, the Antichrist is referred to as a master of intrigue. Think about that. He's a master of intrigue who will become very strong, but not by his own power. What Daniel is saying in that chapter is that the power of the Antichrist will be demonic in origin, satanic in its origin. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says that he will even go as far as he will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. And so uh, let, let's put this together because when you take what I just read and combine it with what's said in the prophecies of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, and Daniel chapter 9, because that book, the book of Daniel, is very prophetic. It's about the end times. When you put all that together, there's a couple of things you begin to understand. The first one is this. Um, th these prophetic words are telling us that at some point in our future, ahead of 2021, some point in the future, that the Jewish temple in Israel will be rebuilt, like there will be a third temple. And in case you're wondering, right now there is actually no central Jewish temple in Israel. 
The first temple was built by King Solomon and was destroyed in 586 BC by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon when he conquered Jerusalem. And then the temple was rebuilt after the um, after the um, they were in exile in, in Jerusalem. That, that's where the story of Nehemiah plays in and all of those guys. And the temple was rebuilt at different times, but they never quite finished it. And so um, King Herod, that's around when we're getting close to Jesus' time, King Herod actually rebuilt the temple. Um, but that second temple was destroyed by the Romans when they ransacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's about 40 years after Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus predicted that this temple would be destroyed and Jerusalem would be ransacked. So presently now in 2022, the only part of what's left of the temple is a relatively small section of the temple wall known as the Western Wall or what's known as the Wailing Wall where thousands of people still travel to every year to pray. And, and, and it's almost next to impossible for the Jews to start rebuilding their temple presently because of all the conflict that's happening in the Middle East and the tensions between the Jews and the Arab, along with the fact that there's a huge mosque called the Dome of the Rock around that location. So while it may seem impossible that a Jewish temple will ever be rebuilt, guess what? The Bible indicates that in future days that a temple will be rebuilt. Like, like, right, Thessalonians is telling us and Daniel is telling us that there's an Antichrist who will come and desecrate the temple. Well, in order for the Antichrist to desecrate a temple, then it means that a temple has to have been built first. The interesting thing is that um, there's actually, presently, there's a Jewish group known as the Temple Institute. And these group of Jewish scholars have already began collecting furnishings and instruments and vessels in preparation for what they anticipate will be the rebuilding of the third temple. In fact, there's a, there, there, there are different plans to rebuild the temple. And it won't be, in fact, it, it will not be a surprise if in the next few years we begin hearing breaking news that the Ark of the Covenant has been found again. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. Preceding the arrival of the Antichrist, there will be a rebuilding of the temple. The second thing to keep in mind, in light of all the verses we read earlier, is that one of the first accomplishments that the Antichrist will achieve that will endear him to the world will be his ability to finally solve the Middle East crisis by signing a seven-year peace deal, a seven-year peace treaty. The book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. Remember I said Daniel 7, 8, 9 is all prophetic. Well, 9, 27 explains that the Antichrist will actually end up negotiating a seven-year contract or a seven-year covenant, a peace treaty with all the parties involved in the Middle East, including Israel. What's interesting here is that over the last, you know, several dozen years, um, peace treaty Proposals have been proposed by different U.S. presidents between the Jews and her non-Jewish neighbors, and none of them have ever lasted. In fact, earlier last year in 2021, you probably saw on the news the violence that broke out between Israel and her Palestinian neighbors. Well, somehow when the Antichrist arrives on the scene, on the scene or when he's starting to ascend to power, he will manage to somehow pull off this peace treaty that's never been able to hold. And the Jews will embrace him, the Jewish nation of Israel will embrace him thinking that they finally found peace. But according to that same verse in Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 27 in Daniel chapter 9, it says that at the halfway point of that seven-year peace deal, that the Antichrist will break his peace treaty, and he will do something horrifying, not only by going into the temple and desecrating it, but according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, it says that he will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Right? So once again, temple has been established. Antichrist deceives the Jews and his and her Muslim neighbors that everything is fine. They sign a seven-year peace treaty, but the Antichrist breaks the deal, goes into the temple, starts claiming he's God, which, by the way, is what Satan has been trying to do from eternity past before he got kicked out of heaven. What's interesting about um, the act of the Antichrist is, uh, is that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus actually refers to this. Jesus says in Matthew 24, starting in verse 15, he says that on that day, in the future day, when you see standing in the holy place, so Jesus is referring to a future temple that will be built, we just talked about. Jesus says, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation that was spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. You see, the Bible, when he refers to the abomination that causes desolation, it means that the Antichrist is going to go into this temple, not only proclaim himself to be God, but the suggestion is that he will do something, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a man in history, I think he's named Antiochus Epiphanes, who actually did something similar to this, where he took a pig and slaughtered it on the temple in Jerusalem, and there's some indication the Antichrist may do something like this. You see, though the Antichrist will initially appear to be charismatic in his personality, time will ultimately reveal that he is completely demonic in his political agenda and power and destructive in his persecution of anyone who turns to faith in Christ. By the way, this is also the period, this halfway period also appears to be the time period where everyone will be forced to take the 666 mark of the beast in order to be able to buy or sell or even travel anywhere, according to Revelation 13, verse 16 to 18. No one knows what the actual mark 666 means, so I'm not going to waste your time by speculating on what it might be. But here is the good news in all of this. You see, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul doesn't just tell him about what's going to happen that's bad, but he says this in verse 8, he says, Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. You see, even though this Antichrist will have free reign during the first half of that seven-year period, um, God will oppose the Antichrist every step of the way through natural means and through supernatural means, disasters that are happening on the earth. You know, Revelation chapter 7 verse 4 says that during that period, God will raise up and supernaturally protect 144,000 messianic Jewish evangelist whom he will send around the world as missionaries to win people back to faith in Christ. Not only that, God will even raise up um, two unique individuals who are referred to as the 
two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, verse 13, uh, verse 3 to 12. And these two men will apparently be able to perform signs and wonders and declare of God's God's grace and God and the gospel and basically invite people to Christ. And in Revelation 14, verse 6 says that at least three angels will be flying in the sky, proclaiming the everlasting gospel and offering people one last chance to turn to Christ. And, and so I think it's important to give some context that it, it, it seems that like things are going to get really bad, right? That's what scripture is saying. And, and, and to be clear, it's not that God and Satan or the Antichrist are on the same fighting level. They're not. God could easily judge Satan, cast him into the lake of fire in one moment, which he will eventually do. But the reason why the end times is so bad and the reason why God allows it to go for those seven years after the rapture is because God is merciful. You see, the reason why that seven years exists is because God has given humanity one last chance to repent before he finally destroys the earth and ha and will need to rebuild the new heaven and the new earth. It's almost as if God is saying, hey, listen, I'm wrapping up time. I'm wrapping up history. You need to get out of this. I've already removed my church, but before I destroy Satan and his demons, whoever is getting caught up in that needs to turn to faith in Christ. That's why 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, during this end times period, many people will turn to faith in Jesus Christ, and many more will unfortunately suffer greatly and be killed for their faith. And that whole period, the end of the seven-year period that's described in the Bible, will culminate in what's known as the Battle of Armageddon, which is in Revelation chapter 16. You see, this Armageddon is the final war on earth. Some people refer to it as World War III. It may be worse than that, but this battle of Armageddon will be the final war of earth where the Antichrist essentially rallies all the armies of the world. Remember, he's already won everyone over to his affections. So this final war on earth will be where the Antichrist gathers all the armies of the world to surround Israel and attack the remaining Christians left on earth. But here's an interesting detail about the Antichrist and the Battle of Armageddon. <laughs> the Battle of Armageddon is actually not a battle. It's more like a slaughter because right at the beginning of that battle of Armageddon, when all these armies are gathered to attack Israel and whoever's left on earth, God's people, scripture says in that moment, that every eye on earth will turn around and look up in the sky and they will witness the physical return of King Jesus. Let me read to you what that moment will be like. It's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 21. It's a little bit extended, so bear with me. Here's what it says. John, the apostle who's writing this says, And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he wages war and judges. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe that's been dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
And coming out of he who was on a horse, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a iron scepter. For he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in heaven, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Paul, John is referring to the armies that have gathered against Israel. Verse 19. John says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against a rider on the horse and his army. But this beast was captured, and with it the false prophets who had performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs, the false prophet and the beast had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Uh, this is clearly a very tragic, tragic scene, right? But it's the reality of what will happen at the end of the age of the people who continually reject the invitation from Jesus Christ to trust in him. Remember, prior to this, there's been over and over and over and over this invitation to turn to faith. But those who continually reject Christ will end up with what you just heard read. I was thinking about this, and, and if you think about what we just read, um, in the first coming of Jesus Christ, which was, you know, back in biblical times, he came as a humble child in the manger and died a sacrificial lamb on the cross. In the second, or really the covert coming of Jesus Christ, and the next thing that's going to happen in the rapture, Jesus will come secretly or stealthily, rather, to take away his church to safety because of the destruction that's about to come on the earth and its inhabitants. And then in the second and final coming of Jesus, he will return as a warrior king to defeat all who oppose him, lock up Satan, and set up his thousand-year millennial kingdom, and then finally reign for all eternity. So that's where we are. Now, in the next episode, we are going to discuss what actually happens one minute after a Christian dies. And what happens to those who've been raptured? What's heaven like? And what will we do for the rest of eternity? And then in the next two episodes, we're going to talk about what about hell? Who goes to hell? What's that like? What's that experience like? So that's where we're headed. We just finished the one with the Antichrist. So to wrap up this week's podcast about the arrival of the Antichrist, the question is, what can you and I do in response to a message like this about the Antichrist? Well, a couple of things. Number one is this. I, I would say that um, live each day of your life in light of that day. In other words, always keep in the back of your mind that Christ is going to return. Like on your best days and on your worst days, remind yourself that you're not just running an endless race. No, Jesus Christ will soon return, will part the sky, and he will make every wrong right. One of my pastors used to say that in heaven, every question mark that we have will become an exclamation mark. In other words, when Christ returns and we see him face to face, man, it'll be like, 
That's why. Oh, I see now. So the first encouragement is, man, live each day of your life in light of that day, knowing it's coming. The second thing is quite simply this. It's, it's tell lost people about Jesus Christ, right? Like the fact is this is that Jesus tells us that evil and violence will continue at an increasing rate. This world is indeed coming to a closure. And part of Jesus's great commission to you is to warn people about the end times, but also, and more importantly, to invite them into a saving relationship with Jesus, to disciple them, to baptize them, and to teach them to obey everything he's taught us. So we not only live each day in light of Jesus's return, but we tell people about Jesus. And then on a personal level, we prepare for eternity by living a godly life. You know, in next week's episode, or the one after that, we're going to talk about um, what happens in heaven. Um, and, and here's what may come as a shock to you. Um, we're going to be busy in heaven. Like, when we get to heaven, we're not just going to be sitting around for all eternity doing nothing. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ will evaluate the life of every single follower of his. It will not result in condemnation, but it will result in a gaining of rewards or a loss of rewards. And your life will be evaluated. So you're saved by grace, but your life will be evaluated by your works. What did you do with what was entrusted to you? And then last but not least, what I would encourage us, especially for those of you who are leaders or pastors, it's this. Not only teach your church the gospel, but teach your church how to share the gospel. Let your church become outward focused to the needs of the people in your community. Don't only tell people about Jesus Christ, but live out the gospel. They could see what it truly means to follow Jesus Christ. There is a day coming, and when that day comes, all will be made right. But in the meantime, I pray that the Lord God of heaven would empower you to live for him in such a way that would result in him celebrating you on Judgment Day. May God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening to the Nigerian Pastors Podcast. For more information about our ministry, uh, you could visit our website, www.thegatheringfaithleadership.network. We are a pastoral training ministry in the city of Jos, Plateau State, Nigeria, and our mission is to encourage, equip, and strengthen pastors and ministry leaders. If you enjoyed this week's podcast and were blessed by it, there are one of two ways you can be a blessing to us in return. One, you can subscribe to our podcast on whatever streaming platform you're listening to us and leave an encouraging review. Man, give us some great stars uh, telling us how much you enjoyed our podcast. That would mean a lot to us. And then two, you can actually visit the episode page of this week's podcast and share it on any of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, wherever, and let your friends know about us. We truly appreciate you and hope you were blessed by this. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you up with you next week. Stay close to Christ. Mm-hmm.